Second Chronicles chapter 31, verses 20 and 21. The title of my message is Prosperity. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. We need to turn this other one around. We're going to have them both on. Much is being said today about prosperity. There are a lot of tapes, a lot of uh, sermons, a lot of teaching, a lot of seminars. I want to say it is scriptural. It may not always mean having wealth. It might be achieving success in something else that God wants you to achieve success in. Something he has spoken, something he has willed, something that has purpose and meaning and significance more than just satisfying the lust of the flesh. The book of 2 Chronicles offers us a number of different accounts of kings of Israel and Judah who were blessed by God and prospered by God. I just found it interesting, started tracing through one after another and found how God prospered some of these kings. In chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles, I found there in verse 2 these words, Hear ye Asa, hear ye me Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I learned a principle there that prosperity and success relates to our experience and trust and following God. The Lord is with you when you be with him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. That's a principle that needs to be remembered. Then in chapter 17, in verse 3, I found that King Jehoshaphat was also prospered. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of David and sought not unto Balaam. Jehoshaphat was prospered because he walked in the first ways, not the latter ways of David where he wavered and made mistakes, but in the first ways of David. And also he did not bow down to Balaam. And then in chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. I found out here that another principle was that we must believe. We had to have faith. Prosperity is not an arbitrary thing that's forced on us. Even if we're doing the right thing, there has to be this element of faith. You can be doing the right thing, going to church and joining in prayer and worship and just doing what is right without really exercising a lot of positive faith 
So I feel that God is revealing to us here that some things are denied us when we do not exercise faith. Prosperity is not forced on us against our willingness to cooperate and to believe all that God has said. God set ambushments against Edom and Moab and Ammon, and they fell down and when they had come to war against Judah. And Jehoshaphat's army found them as dead men because the Lord was with them. In chapter 15 and verse 9, these words are recorded. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. So I found another principle. We need to have a perfect heart if we're going to prosper, if we're going to be blessed. Now, I, I need to inject here that sometimes people have the idea that you can confess prosperity and then live loose, careless, reckless lives, unfaithful, slack in your relationship to the Lord. It doesn't work that way. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So a perfect heart is needed to find the degree of prosperity that the Lord is searching for a way, looking for a way, running to and fro, his eyes running to and fro through the earth, looking for a way to bless people with a perfect heart. No wonder sometimes we have trouble getting our blessings is because our heart is filled with malice, our heart is filled with envy or jealousy or strife or anger or we are resentful or unforgiving. The Lord hasn't promised prosperity to a person who has an unforgiving spirit. In fact, the Bible says God won't even forgive us if we don't forgive others. Well, prosperity is being forgiven. Prosperity is being close to God. Prosperity is having what you need and having what God wants you to have and meeting success in those things that He has divinely purposed and willed and that by faith we claim and receive. So there's a lot involved in this prosperity message that isn't being taught today. It isn't all confession. It isn't all what you say with your mouth. A lot of it's what you believe in your heart. A lot of it's what you think in your head. A lot of it's what you do with your body. You can't go out here and serve the flesh and live after the lust of the flesh and have a perfect heart. Well, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. In chapter 27 and in verse 6, another king of Judah by the name of Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. He became mighty. He was prospered in his rule. He was prospered in his kingdom, in his reign. He became a mighty king because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Some things we do, we try to hide from God. And we do not do those things in the light of his commandments. And thus we don't meet with success. 
We're not favored by God. He doesn't bless our efforts because it was never prepared before the Lord. We never prayed about it. People go into business ventures and they never pray about it. People decide they'll move from one town to another town or they'll change jobs and they haven't fasted and prayed. Neighbor, you ought to fast and pray at least three days before you consider changing jobs. You ought to read a, a good portion of the Word of God. Prepare your ways before the Lord before you dare think about changing jobs, before you think about moving from one city to another, before you think about changing churches, before you think about making important decisions. Young people, before you ever think about getting married, fast and pray for sure. That's good advice, isn't it, Sister Wiggins? We fasted and prayed before we got married. The Lord said it was all right. <laughs> Some people are afraid to fast and pray about it because they're afraid he'll say no. It'd be better that he did now than later. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 20 through 21 that we read, Thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. Look at those principles. He did that which was good and right and truth. How can God prosper people who go out here cheating other people? How can God prosper a group of people or a nation or a church or a body of people or a family or a business that's crooked and perverse and envious and filled with strife? He did that which was good and right and truth before the Lord is God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and the law to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and he prospered. Praise God. Some people do what they do with half their heart. It's not a wholehearted service and ministry to the Lord. It's half-hearted. How can you give half your heart? Well, Solomon decided to divide a baby up one time to decide who the right mother was. And quickly he discerned who the real mother was. His wisdom prevailed and the baby's life was spared when the real mother said, don't divide the baby. Let her have it. Don't take the child's life. Well, sometimes we try to divide our heart. You can't do that. And you can't prosper with a divided heart. We need to be wholehearted in our ministry and service to the Lord. It's talking about in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and of the law. Not people dragging in, moaning and groaning and complaining. Well, I don't know why so-and-so didn't do this. This is his job anyway. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And somebody else let down, so I've got to pick up the slack. Well, why didn't the janitor pick up this piece of trash? Well, I'm afraid somebody will stumble over it, so I'll pick it up. Others walk around it. But thank God for anybody who will pick it up, even with a half-hearted effort. But if you do something with all your heart, you'll prosper for it. You'll be blessed for it. In chapter 32 and verse 21, God sent an angel for this king and cut off his enemies. Praise God. In chapter 32 and verse 30, Hezekiah prospered in all his work. He did that which was good and right and truth as we're told in verse 20. Look in verse 30 of chapter 32. He prospered in all his works. He did that which was good and right that we read earlier in chapter 30 and verse 20. He did that which was good and right. So he prospered in all his works. Thank God. 
The example of prospering clearly is connected to obedience and to righteousness. Now, I believe that God wants us to be very fruitful, very fruitful. He doesn't plant an orchard of trees. He doesn't plant a vineyard and walk out into that vineyard and take great pleasure in finding one cluster of grapes on a vine that should be producing many clusters of grapes. One apple on the apple tree. One orange on the orange tree. I believe God made everything to be very productive. And I believe God is pleased. He is very pleased to prosper His people in many different ways, in many different things. John chapter 15 and verse 8, Herein is the Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Now that's something Christ said. I didn't draw that up. I copied it down, but I read it in John 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. The Lord doesn't want us as Christians to have branches with nothing but blooms, nothing but buds, or nothing but branches. He wants fruit on the branches. Herein is God glorified. Jesus said, my Father is glorified that ye bear much fruit. You say, well, what was he talking about? Well, anything that God's a part of, anything that God has anything to do with, he wants it to be successful. He wants it to prosper. If God is in your business, he wants it to be a good business. If God is in your talent and in your skill, he wants to prosper that talent and that skill and make it a ministry to bear much fruit to bless other people and to help people. If God is in this church, he wants to bless this church that it bears much fruit to bless many people. Some people have a warped sense of, and a mentality of smallness and they think, well, now the Bible says despise not the day of small beginnings. Well, we don't despise the day of small beginnings. We despise those who think small and want to stay small. God didn't say uh, that he wanted us to stay forever a baby. He wants us to mature. He, the small beginnings facilitates great growth. God doesn't want a church to stay little. God doesn't want us to tell people they can't get saved because if you get saved, we're going to grow. God doesn't want us to stop people at the front door when we reach 100 people and say, I'm sorry, there are no more sinners coming in this building because if they do, as sure as anything, they'll get under conviction and they'll get saved and our church will be too big. And I don't like a big church. I won't know everybody. And I just don't like big churches. Why don't we like big churches? Because we're afraid of bearing much fruit. God is glorified if we bear much fruit. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus said, I have chosen and ordained you that ye go and bring forth fruit that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name he may give it to you. Here's one of the prosperity promises. If we bear fruit, if we fulfill the mission of the nature of our existence, then we can claim this promise. Whatsoever we ask of the Father, in His name, He will give it to you. Now there's some prerequisites and requirements connected with prosperity. In this John chapter 15, verse 4, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Some people are teaching, there's a miracle in your mouth. Just speak it, just confess it. Doesn't matter how you live, just say it. Well, there's a miracle in your heart that God wants. 
He says here in verse 4, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. If my mouth could produce miracles, then I'd go down to St. Vincent's Hospital and get all the sick people out of that hospital this afternoon. But I, I can't just speak everybody's miracle. That isn't God's will for me to do that. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. I must operate within the confines of God's purpose, His will, and the faith, and the life, and the mission that God has called me to. Verse 5 says that He is the vine, we are the branches. Without Him, we can do nothing. You can quote from Genesis to Revelation with your mouth, but without Him, you can do nothing. You can quote anything in this Bible you want to, but without Him, you can do nothing. The power of positive thinking. Think positively all you want to, and you can go as far as the mind will let you go, but you can't go as far as God will let you go without abiding in the vine, without Him. Now, it's true that we mortal beings are granted great abilities and possibilities, and none of us live up to the limits of our possibilities, even in the natural. And the natural man can benefit by positive thinking. But friends, it comes to a grinding stop at a point. For without Christ, we can do nothing that requires His blessings and anointing and will. To say that we can do nothing doesn't mean that we can't breathe, doesn't mean that we can't eat uh, banana pudding, well, of course, if he cut off our breath or our heartbeat, we couldn't do that. So without him in that sense of the word, we can do absolutely nothing. But as we abide in the vine, then, my friends, we can bear the fruit. Without him, we can do nothing. Verse 6 tells us, this is John 15, the withered branches are cut off and put into the fire and burned. So God doesn't like unfruitfulness. He doesn't like barrenness. The Lord does not want us to be happy with this mentality that I'm satisfied with my lot. I am not going to try any self-improvement. I am not going to think positive. I am not going to believe in miracles. I'm not even interested in having more or doing more or being better. And so they're content. Well, the Bible tells us the withered branches are gathered and put into the fire and burned. If we don't bear fruit, and Jesus clearly told us God is glorified if we bear much fruit. And if that is not our desire and not our objective, watch out for the scorching heat. You better put on the asbestos because he says these withered branches will be burned. You think God can't burn your talent? You think God can't let those nimble fingers become gnarled with arthritis? You say, well, God wouldn't afflict with me with arthritis, but he might lift his protection. You think God couldn't take that voice that is like a nightingale's and let it become screechy like an owl? Do you think God can't take your mind that he has so blessed and then withdraw his blessings and leave it there with a vacuum? The withered branches are done what with? They're put into the fire and burned. 
Brother, I don't want God to let my talents and my skills and my energy and my health and my mentality and my education and everything that he has invested in me, I don't want to see it go up in smoke. And I don't want to be sitting back reserving myself and, and not being willing to be expended for his sake to spend and be spent for his glory and that my talents might diminish or be given to someone else the Father is glorified if we bear much fruit with our talent. Some of you folk have a real talent of visiting and meeting new people. You should be using that talent more than you do. Some of you have a great talent of benevolence and charity and giving and helping people in needs. We should be using those talents more than we do. But we must abide in Him Connected with all of this, verse 4 says the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Verse 5, he is the vine, we are the branches. Verse 6, the withered branches are burned. Verse 7, then the promise that if you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. It's conditional. It's qualified. There's an if there. You can't just simply ask God for anything you want to. He doesn't give you a blank check. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. If we abide in the vine, then we have the nature of the vine. See, we think like the vine thinks. We feel and sense and have compassion and wisdom and knowledge of the vine. If we abide in the vine and if my words, he said, abide in you, if in your thinking and prayer life, the Word of God infiltrates your prayers and fills your mind and controls the way you pray, then you're not going to pray these foolish prayers of selfishness and greed and gluttony and the lust of the flesh. You're not going to be pray praying prayers of enmity and hatefulness and strife and belligerence and vengeance on somebody else. And no wonder people don't get their prayers answered because they ask amiss. You, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. The Bible clearly tells us, it doesn't mean miss so-and-so either. It means you ask wrongly. <laughs> you ask completely amiss from the intended purpose. If ye abide in the vine, then you have the nature of the vine. The vine flows right out into the branches. And then my words abide in you, controlling your prayer life controlling the way you think, controlling your wants, your wishes, your will. And then he said, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If we pray according to the will of God, if we pray according to what the vine wants to produce in the way of fruit, if we're out here and we're an apple branch on an apple tree and we're praying, Lord, let me bear a pomegranate, that's wrong. We're not being controlled by the nature of the source. But we're out here as an apple branch Oh, Lord, help me to bear a beautiful, delicious apple that people may be blessed, that they may smell the aroma, that they may taste the savor. Oh, that I may grace the table of someone and be blessed, be a blessing to them because I'll be true to my mission. I will not ask to be something God did not intend me to be. I will not be selfish. I will not be greedy. I will not want wealth so that I can pad my bank account. I will not desire just good health so that I can run the track, so that I can uh, lift weights, or so that I can lift dumbbells and be a dumbbell. 
Well, God's not opposed to lifting weights. God's not, God is not opposed to running the track. He's not opposed to a person being a good athlete. He is opposed to someone wanting to follow the gods of this world and making a god out of athletics, a god out of sports, a god out of football, a god out of any kind of athletic events, a god out of wealth, a god out of your job, a god out of success and popularity. The Lord doesn't want to popular. Uh, to uh, prosper you so that you can be popular in the eyes of men. He wants to prosper you so you can fulfill God's purpose in your life. The purpose he created and designed you for. The branch will always bear the same fruit as the nature of the vine. Psalms 37 and verse 4 tells us, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I realize the hour is late, but I have some very important things to give you, and I'll give them to you fast. You make a Bible study of this by the tape. You'll get the scriptures. It's all in Psalms 37. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Sounds like a blank check, but it's not a blank check. It's drawn on a particular bank account. has to have the right signature. There has to be some resources when you deposit it, or you'll, it'll bounce. Let's find out what is the controlling factor. If we dwell in the land, here, here are the three promises God gives in Psalms 37, that they would dwell in the land and be fed, verse 3, that they would inherit the land, verse 9, 11, 29, and 39, says they will inherit the land. The third promise is they would have an abundance of peace. That's in verse 11. Here's the condition. Delight thyself also in the Lord. That means to have extreme satisfaction, great pleasure. Serve the Lord with gladness. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart. We must, in verse 3, trust the Lord. That's faith. We must, in verse 5, commit our way to the Lord. That's following His will, accepting His will. Verse 7, we must rest in the Lord. That's abiding in the vine. Those principles are what Christ taught in John chapter 15. Let me give them to you again. In verse 3, we must trust in the Lord. That's faith. In verse 5, commit our way to the Lord. That's following His will, accepting His will. And then number three in verse seven, rest in the Lord. That's abiding in the vine. The two groups of people spoken of in Psalms 37, where God made this promise, that if we delight ourselves in the Lord to give us the desires of the heart, they're the wicked and the righteous. He gave the promise to the righteous people. The righteous man is spoken of in verse 16, 17, 21, 25, 29, 30, 32, and 39. That's the person who will get the desires of their heart, the righteous man. In verse 11, the meek. In verse 14 and in verse 18, the upright man. Verse 23, the good man. Verse 28, the saints. Verse 37, the perfect man. So all of those qualifications must be brought into view when you say the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Then he discusses the wicked man in verse 
in these verses, in chapter 37 of Psalms, in verse 10, 12, 14, 16, 17, 20, 21, 28, 32, 34, 35, 38, 40. In all of those verses, the Bible mentions the wicked man who cannot get the desires of his heart. In verse 1 and in verse 9, he mentions the evildoers. In verse 1, he mentions the workers of iniquity. In verse 38, the transgressors. In verse 20, the enemies of the Lord. Now also in this chapter, 37, Psalms 37, the Bible tells us what the works of a righteous man are. In verse 3, he trusts in the Lord and he does good. In verse 4, he delights in the Lord. In verse 5, he commits his way unto the Lord and he trusts in the Lord. In verse 7, he rests in the Lord. In verse 8, he ceases from anger and from wrath. <laughs> That's a hard one to live up to. Verse 30, he speaks wisdom. He doesn't go around learning all the latest jokes. You know, there are some people who would do well to memorize scripture rather than memorizing jokes. Some people pride themselves. Hey, have you heard this? And they never quote a verse of scripture. We'd do well if we would speak wisdom. God will prosper a man who speaks wisdom. A righteous man speaks wisdom. Verse 31, the Lord, the Lord is in his heart. These are all qualifications of a man who will prosper, a man who will get the desires of his heart in Psalms 37. I'm closing with this thought. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 tells us, Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy your fruits. Your vine shall not cast her fruit before the time. All nations shall call you blessed. Ye shall be a delightsome land. Those are promises of prosperity. It doesn't mean you're going to become a millionaire. It doesn't mean that you're going to become wealthy in comparison to someone else. It means that God will give you more than you could ever reach by yourself. If you follow the Lord's will, not tithing brings a curse. For verse 8 and 9, you've robbed God. You're cursed with a curse. Spiritual barrenness is a result, an inevitable result of not tithing. You say, preacher, I know people who make money and they don't tithe. Well, you also know people who are spiritually barren. You don't know anybody who is spiritually prosperous that doesn't tithe because they're cursed with a curse. Money doesn't mean that you can be happy. Money doesn't mean you'll get a reward when you get to heaven. Money doesn't mean that you can get your prayer answered in the middle of the night when you need a miracle of God to save a relative's life and something is at stake that you've got to have an answer right then and the heavens have turned to brass. People who are successful in business, that's not the only measuring stick for prosperity. Where in the world did we ever get the idea that prosperity and wealth can be equated? It isn't in the Word of God. Delighting yourself in the Lord and committing your way to the Lord and trusting in the Lord. These are open doors to God's prosperity. I'd rather have God's prosperity if I didn't have a nickel in my bank account than to have 
a bank account I could never spend in a lifetime and not have his blessings. Not be able to press my pillow at night and know that everything's right with my maker. And friends, if you're robbing God, you don't have that peace. You don't have that spiritual victory. There is spiritual barrenness. There's no fruit on the branch. And the Father is glorified if you bear much fruit. And you can't bear fruit and not keep the nature of the vine. I believe Jesus was a tither. I challenge anybody to find any accusation from the scribes and the Pharisees. They never pointed a finger at his tithing record. And if they could have, they would have. Rest assured. If he had been guilty of not tithing, that would have been charge number one. You have violated the law. So I believe he was a tither and all of his disciples under him. So friends, don't be spiritually barren. Don't bring a curse of God upon your spiritual life. Don't cut yourself off from God's prosperity. It's very difficult to get prayers answered for people who will not follow the Lord in obedience in this particular matter. The Bible tells us in 2 Second, Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver. And the Moffat's translation of verse 8 says, God is able to bless you with ample means that you may always have quite enough for any emergency you can on your own and then have ample besides for any kind of act to others. That's prosperity. Praise God. Let us bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer. And I know we all want his blessing.